hospitality, TV, let your mind be free, open it up, relax your mind, let your body be free, and get down to the sounds of VIT, AMIX, Vitamix, in, in the flesh, right here, talking about wine all the time. So fine. Out, y'all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
There are places, I mean, in Napa, Compline Open. Yes. So that's Matt, Matt Stamp, who's yes. a master sommelier, and, and Ryan Stettens. And those guys have done a great job, but they're not in the kitchen, so right. they hired But they have a full menu, right? They have a full menu, but there's a chef that does it. They, they don't sure. cook. Right, right. The only person I can think of is Steve Geddes, who's uh -huh. a master sommelier. And he's, he's kind of like the same mentality, kind of crazy like I am, is that he stopped working in wine and started cooking, right. making his food, opened his own restaurants. And I mean, it's kind of insane. He's working in Vegas now with his wife, but. With your, uh, sorry to jump around, with your hip hop background, are you, what type of music are you guys playing at your restaurant right now? Um, so, I mean, I love Tribe Called Quest. That's sure. always the band I listen to, but uh, we usually do The Clash. Like we'll put a, a Spotify station on. Yeah with The Clash, you know, Trained in Vain is usually one that we start with, or um, James Brown, I like a nice. lot. Um, Parliament, Ohio Players. Yeah. But Tribe Called Quest is usually uh, what we listen to. Very nice. And I, did, and I didn't mean to uh, not go into your first question, but I started out in, uh, I was selling, sh I got out of uh, college. I went to University of Oregon. I got out of college, and I, for some reason, I took a job with Kmart. And so in San Jose, California, I was the Kmart shoe department manager. Yes. Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I just, you know, I sat around, I put, I put the shoes, one shoe went this way, one shoe went this way in the bin. You know, I organized that. I hired my, my people on the floor to, to keep, you know, to keep everything look nice. And then people would come in and steal shoes. And I'd watch them. They'd take, they'd take the shoes off of the little rack. These are $5 house shoes. Yeah. Put them on the floor, take their old shoes out, just throw them up there, and then just walk out. And these are some bad mofos right so like <laughs> oh, screw it take the shoes i don't care can't do this but yeah. from there i said i need something better went to nordstrom and nordstrom i was a shoe department assistant manager which is a great gig and great sales and from there the head of gallo came in and this is i guess around 1990 or so with his wife and i sold his wife a ton of shoes i mean just tons of shoes he's like wow you're a great sales salesman why don't you come work for me so the next week i did an interview and i started with gallo in san francisco as the uh, as a merchandiser and if you don't know what a merchandiser is, a merchandiser, although the order comes in, let's say there's 40 cases of Carlo Rossi, four liter Paisano, you know, bottles that come in. And you do the stadium cut, you slice it this way, slice it that way, take the top off and then you build a display out right. of it. So that was, that was my job and eventually I worked my way Which there's you know, a science up. to that too, right? I mean, just for how people, I worked in retail for a little bit also and just how you position something for somebody to see yeah. at the right angle for them it's to pick brilliant. it up or not yeah and gal is a brilliant company both for for sales techniques like sort of the psychology of how you sell to people and you know at the time it's like one of the worst jobs you could do right i i, th I thought to me i thought i was on top of the world because they're like this is this is a real job and i have to wear a suit and a tie and the whole thing and and i and i, I just loved it you know at the time it taught me so much about the business as a matter of fact i ran into gina gallo maybe two weeks ago at a party and I told her this whole story about how her, I guess that would be her grandfather, Ernest came in and used to yell at me about, you know, the facings weren't correct and all that sort of thing. And then the other, sorry, my mind kind of flows all over the place, but no, you're good. to the rap business, when I, when I was in college, I had a record that came out and it did pretty good, uh, 13 on the charts. And then um, I started to promote that. I lived in New York City and I, I know you got Tupac over there, but you know, I, I toured with uh, Run DMC and Fresh Prince back on the Raising Hell tour. That's crazy. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so that was, I mean, it's, so it's a very varied background about everything yeah. that's happened. So anyway, yeah, I mean, it's a great depth of experience. You were talking about. Uh, I want to ask you something about, sorry, that, that experience working for, for Gallo and, and 
you know, being on the sales side, and I know, uh, I don't want to jump around too much either, but I know at a later point in your career, you were back in sales and managing a team of 20, 22 uh, sales professionals. You know, after having all this, this personal experience on the sales side for your own and then managing all this personnel, what do you think are some of the habits or characteristics of the most successful people on that team? Like, what does it take to really excel in the sales department? I know, you know, a lot of us, friends and colleagues right now that are, you know, beverage directors or wine guys, they make that move into the sales side. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to see. What do you think makes that yeah. out of a person? I mean, it's a different thing. When you have a, a, a sommelier or a wine director that moves into the selling side, it's a huge shock. I mean, it's a big shock. So all the things, it's kind of like, and a lot of salespeople go, well, you, you, you finally see what it's like. You're getting what you deserve. Like all the times you never called me back. Right. All the times you never emailed me. You know, we, we know who you are. So when they go into that other side, they kind of get their asses beat a little bit. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. I think it gives you more of an appreciation of what it's like for a sales rep to go in and have to, or just make contact at all. So nowadays people are more apt to text. Like when I was at the restaurant, I, I, I hated phone calls. I never wanted a phone call. And emails, it would take me forever. I mean, that's just a natural fact. Because mm -hmm. I'm always busy working and I, I don't have time for emails. But if you text me, particularly if you text me like one in the morning or something or midnight, whatever, when I'm finishing work, I mean, that, that, that was my own thing that worked out really well for me. I'll text you back, you get an order. Right. Or if the sales rep would come into the restaurant, you know, have a glass of wine, just hang out for a little bit, no pressure. Right. You know, not trying to pressure me. That worked out really well. So I guess that w that's what you're getting at. When a wine director or a sommelier take, takes the other, goes to the other side, yeah. it's a matter of being humble and asking the, the buyers what works for them. What's the best way that I can contact you? What's the best way to reach you that I, so I'm not a jerk? Right. Right? And everybody's different. Do you, what, do you have any, have you seen any other tactics that were really like, you know, the top one or two sales guys on your team that you're standing out for a reason? Yeah. Anything that stood out for you there for those guys, those top performers? Well, it's, it's relationship mm -hmm. and it's all, I mean, so the job that I have with Vine Hill Ranch is that I have to go, I, I go tr travel throughout the country and I meet wine directors and, and buyers and that sort of thing. And, and the thing that works best for me is really, I mean, it's just relationship, just talking about what, you know, the World Cup or, you know, soccer, whatever, talking about wines, you know, just not beating you over the head. Not always business. Just, yeah, 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 just talking. Then you establish a relationship by having, you know, a, a drink, you know, or something to eat or whatever right. and saying hi and never like directly saying, hey, can I show you this, that or the other. Right. So. On the flip side, I guess, instead of, you know, moving from a wine director position to a sales position, you essentially did the, the reverse, right? You started off with a sales position, moved into a further down the line of buying position. Yeah, that I mean, you up? sort of Did that back give you forth. an advantage at all? You oh, a hell of an advantage, yeah. yeah. So I always used to say, at least on my, when I did a resume, it would be, so I have experience in production at a winery. I have experience in retail as a wine buyer. I did that for a little bit. Experience as a regional manager or a district manager working for two big companies and um, experience as a buyer in a restaurant. So if you can have that sort of breadth and depth of knowledge, then you, I mean, you're golden. Cause you, especially let's say that you're, uh, you're coming from a restaurant background into a sales as we were talking about. If you go in, you know, for instance, like coming to the restaurant, you know to go in through the kitchen. You don't sit and wait at the door, try and call somebody. You know, if you go through the kitchen, you can, you can meet somebody or you know, you can, you can analyze somebody's wine list you know, you can sit there while you're waiting for the buyer to show up. You can look through and go, oh, my God, that's a great opportunity for this wine, that wine. And then sort of know what the business is. So inventory, 
uh, needs, you know, the size of the inventory you have, right. your budget, and um, you know what type of wine will fit in perfectly. That's and then a also great to point. Know, yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you just from a personal opinion. Like I've had a lot of people who come in and they'll be. So I have the perfect wine for you, but yet they don't know anything about it. They haven't taken the time to even open yeah. up the wine list. Yeah. You know, it's almost it's like offensive. a shortcut. Yeah. And it's like if, well, on the flip side, if somebody actually says, I love how you've organized between New World and Old World thick skin, and I see you're a little bit, you know, weak in this area of northern Spain. Right. Like, oh, my God, now you have my attention. Let's talk. Yeah. Like, this is cool. But it's like any, I mean, it's not just wine. It's any business. If you come in to somebody with something that works for them you've, and you've done your research, but most people, even for the big companies, will come in and just like, here's what I have on quota, here's what you need to buy. And they're not sympathetic or empathetic to what you're going through or what your budgetary needs are, especially if you're coming in towards the end of the month and you want to sell this thing. And it's like, man, I can't until the beginning of the month. Maybe, right. you know. So I'm sorry that's not available then. So I want to ask you about your experience uh, with Chef Richard Reddington and, and when you're running the program at Red. Mm -hmm. um, because you got a really cool nod from Forbes at the time as one of the best wine programs yeah. in the world. Yeah, that was out of the blue. That was cool. That's crazy. That's congratulations. Thanks. That's huge. Um, what I, I'd love to ask you, what is what was your approach in creating that list? Mm. And once it's created, what do you think were some of the reasons why it got this accolade? And you know, be, maybe the education that went into the staff to support that list? Or how sure. did you go about creating that list and maintaining it? Well, when we, start, when we started the restaurant, what, what Chef told me, we're walking around the bare bones of the restaurant. I said, what's your plans for it? And he said, I want something sophisticated. You know, I want something that people are going to remember that's a little bit different. So remember, this is Yountville. You don't know, I mean, it's the heart of Napa Valley. Right. And so most people are expecting, you know, 100% Napa Valley wines, which is kind of weird. I mean, Sonoma does that a lot. It's just Sonoma wines. They don't give nods to anything else. But I wanted to have, you know, a great page of really good Napa Valley producers. But then also we have so many winemakers coming in, or we did at the time, that they want to try something a little bit different. So my task is to have something new and unusual for the winemakers and then also for the number of, of visitors and, and tourists that come in. Mm -hmm. So if you're a tourist visiting Napa Valley, you want to drink Napa Valley wines. But, but maybe at the beginning, if we do a five-course menu, I can start you with a, you know, sake, a really cool sake. And then, you know, with, a, with we had a, sort of some sushi preparations, sashimi. And then you could go into maybe, you know, Chenin Blanc or something that you normally wouldn't drink. And then we'll finish, you know, with Merlot and Cab or whatever at right. the end. So it's, it's, it, at the time, nobody was really doing that. So it's a delicate balance between having a lot of good producers. And that doesn't mean like the normal producers. Too many people in the Napa Valley will just throw the normal stuff on that one or two companies will present to them. Sure. So, I mean, not to name names, but it's, it's pretty much the same old. And it's frustrating when you go to a place, like even there was a new, uh, a new uh, Himalayan restaurant that opened up, and there's nothing different there. You know what I mean? I drink Napa Valley Cab and Chardonnay with that. So granted, you know, and there's too many lists in San Francisco that just have all kinds of weird stuff that they're trying to impress, the Sami is trying to impress their friends with, or, you know what I mean? So it's a combination of having some fun, weird orange wines or Greek wines or whatever, whatever else it is. But then balance it with a few things like I always say my mom would feel comfortable with and enjoy. Like my mom likes to drink Chardonnay and she likes Cabernet. She likes Pinot Noir. She lives in Oregon. So I have a couple of normal things too. Right. So with a program like that at Red, what type of education plans did you have set there for your staff? Oh, for the staff. So I always, I wanted to pass the Master Sommelier exam. Previously, before this, I was working part-time at Auberge de Soleil as a sommelier 
but I was wor also working at Farniente and Chapelet, you know, helping them with sales and mm -hmm. all that. I was able to pass the uh, advanced exam while I was working at Auberge. Richard was the chef at Auberge, so when he left to open this restaurant, I came with him as his uh, sommelier. Got it. So for me, it was really important to do at, at Red to do the ser the service that was at a master's level. Mm -hmm. So I made sure that we had Giridons, the, the carts that came out, right. and that we were pouring wine in a particular way, presenting in a particular way. And so I would educate my staff almost daily at lineup to, to these are the way we present wines, this is what we do the way decanters are labeled so they don't mix things up. And um, yeah, just and to have a very uh, a well-rounded wine list with a breadth of different wines. What, um, what were some of the struggles that you had doing that? Uh, people that didn't care. Yeah. For instance, so I did- How do you get around that? <laughs> so I did the wine program at Chateau Marmont for mm -hmm. four years or so. This is a- Beverly Hills. Yeah, well, or Hollywood, Hollywood. yeah. It's yep. a pretty well-known sort of celebrity yes. place. And so when I went down there, everybody said, oh my God, when I was introduced to the wait staff, they're all waiters and you know that sort of thing, and so they're like, "Oh God, we got to hear from this guy. What does he know?" So it took me like six months at least of constant, you know, presentations to the staff to say, "This is how you're going to make more money. This is how the restaurant's going to do better." Yeah. And you guys are you're all actors and producers, so act, you know. Right. Instead of coming up and hugging the guests and all these weird things they were doing, pretend that you're you know super excited about this wine. You know, let's taste the wines, find a couple of things you really like, and just get excited about it, like right. you're in a movie or something. <laughs> so it's just trying to get the staff excited about a few things. Let's say, for instance, there's 450 wines on a wine list. You know, go through different sections every week and find something that people are really turned on. Once people taste Northern Rhone wines, at the restaurant Red, we had a lot of bacon dishes, and people go, oh, my God. I didn't even know a wine like this existed, like Crow's Hermitage, right. um, Graillot or something that we had on the list at the time for 60 bucks. Right. That's a pretty it's screaming a deal. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, people, and some people would just get turned on by that. Right. And want to recommend it. So if you were in a position to, you know, I know that you've done some, you know, some type of, some consulting here and there, and what do you think is it that wine buyers slash operators miss the most with their the whoever's selling them on the other side because i know you talk a lot about you know building those relationships and maintaining them and improving on them um and you know say for say for example you know the the example of napa and working at red and I, you have all these winemaker winemakers that are there surrounding you but you know what advice would you give to somebody who's out in you know, maybe a more rural part of the country that isn't surrounded by directly by a lot of reps and much less winemakers that are coming to them that are trying to create these relationships for them. Um, what are they missing there? What areas do you think they can improve on to have these long-term relationships? Let's say if I was in, you know, I don't know, Minneapolis or, or somewhere in, or, you know, Nebraska or whatever. So I, I'd want to identify who are the who, what importers are there mm -hmm. to take a look at that and, and find a couple of things. For instance, um, you could have a wine like a Brunello, which to me is very similar to Cabernet Sauvignon. Like even when I was tasting for the Master Sauvignon exam, blind tasting, I would get them confused. And so for a guest, you know, if, if all they drink is Silver Oak Cabernet or Jordan or something they're very familiar with, to get them to try something new is always exciting. You know, if you have regular guests, they always want to try new things and, and learn more, and that's a way to kind of get them excited. Ask them what they like. Mm -hmm. As far as you're talking about a, a wine buyer with a customer, right? I mean, that's kind of the thing. What do you like to drink? You know, Viognier is very similar to Chardonnay in a way. I mean, it's kind of big and rich, and 
right. and glycerol and people like something like that. Right. But that keeps your job more interesting. If you just sit on your ass basically and you know keep pumping out the Rombauer and the you know all these big names that people know. Right. Well, that's fine, but it's not doing a service to anybody, and it keeps you interested. Yeah. You know what I mean. And does that kind of answer where you're yeah, getting Yeah, and I think I was more referring to like the sale, like uh, the connection the between the buyers and the sales force. Okay. Uh -huh. Whether it be a winery or the liaison of the winery, which is a sales team, like right. where do you think buyers can be better at having relationships with the salespeople? Because yeah, you've I, seen it, you've worked on that side. Yeah. Like, who were your favorite buyers? What type of things were they doing to where like, oh, I like working with this guy? Yeah. I Apart just, from the obvious, <laughs> he buys as much stuff that you want to sell Sure. Him. Well, I mean, to, to bring interesting wines, and as we talked about earlier, to, to know about my business. Mm -hmm. So bring, bring the stuff you have to bring. I understand that. You know, Napa Cab, when I was at Red, just bored the hell out of me because that's all that was brought in, Napa Cab, Napa Cab. You know, which is, which is okay. And it's, it's fun when one sticks out, you know, when there's a particular producer. Right. For me, it was Vine Hill, but that stuck out. But then also bring something else that's interesting. You know, do you have a, a, a weird you know, Carmenere blend, or do you have something else from a producer like, you know, Matthiasen or, or uh, I don't know, Forlorn Hope, or, you know, one of those kind of hipster people. Right. Bring all that stuff in so we can talk. And what really cements the relationship is that the, the, the seller or the rep is bringing in something, you know, they're thinking, as we said before, they're thinking about your list and thinking about bringing in something you wouldn't even expect. Instead of talking themselves out of bringing it, thinking I won't like it, just bring in anything. Right, right. Because most buyers like to try everything. Yeah. And if they don't, then they're just, you know, yeah. too stressed out. I agree. <laughs> or should retire. So <laughs> I want to finish with kind of a two-part question. Yeah. And if you could go back to your first day as a sales rep at Gallo, what advice would you give to yourself? And the second uh -huh. part is, if you could do the same your first day as wine director at Red, what advice would you give to yourself? Huh, that's really interesting. Um, the Ga I mean, Gallo, I don't know if that counts really because that was more like, you know, I was on the streets, like really bad areas and I was trying to sell as much uh, Night Train and Thunderbird and Brandy yes. as I could. <laughs> so there I felt like I got along really well with uh, most of my buyers were, you know, people from other countries and they had little liquor stores and they didn't, all they cared about was a deal. But still back in those days, I think it was the relationship that we had. When I came in, you know, it was part of, part of the culture that the buyers had was to offer me a coffee or would you like to take home this bottle of wine, you know, to offer things to mm -hmm. you. And, and you, you, most people would normally say, no, I don't want that. But you have to take those sorts of things or, or sit and have a coffee with somebody. And then you get that relationship going and then they trust you. I think that holds through, you know, today even. Like I'm having a little glass of Fernet, you know, order a Fernet with somebody. Right. You know what I mean? That's sort of the international, you know, restaurant tour thing totally. like we, we all understand where we're from that right. bonds everybody together sort of know what the language is and know what who your buyer is that sort of thing talk about stuff and then my first day as a buyer i think it's to be you you want to be hum i think you want to be humble at the time that i took that job i was so excited i was probably too cocky you know to the point where i tried to return everybody's email and all that sort of thing but i think i could have been i could have been nicer you know, because like people, I guess the reps don't understand that you're totally stressed out, especially when the chef owns a restaurant and the chef's pitching it about something. The GM's angry at you with something. You know, you have orders coming in, the driver's waiting. I mean, there's all these pressures that reps don't understand. But as a buyer, I think you have to keep it together and not be a jerk. 
you know, and treat everybody as a human being. The person that's selling the wine is just an average yep. person. Trying to make a living. You, know, you got to be nice. Yep. It's a human being. So, of course. I guess that's what I would say. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much, man. I right can't thank you enough for your time. It's, I really appreciate it. It's an it. honor to be here. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Sure. Thanks again, guys, for watching Hospitality TV. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and most recently, we are live on iTunes podcast under Hospitality TV. So please go there, subscribe, leave me a comment, share it, anything. Just leave me some of your thoughts. We'd love to hear it. Thanks again. Hospitality. Woo.